Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Uh, my guest today is Paolo Kuszkowski, uh, the CEO and co-founder of CoinFirm. Paolo, how are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, you know, let's just start out with the basics. Uh, tell listeners what CoinFirm does, please. Um, yeah. Okay. So we are um, providing compliance as a service solution, um, especially around anti-money laundering, counter-terrorist financing um, regulations. So this is this is our DNA. Uh, we focus on blockchain um, as an underlying technology, and we use this uh, in terms of analysis. So we provide analysis for cryptocurrencies, um, but also for private blockchains. Uh, when we provide analytics for this. All right. So first, let's let's go over the basics. What what is anti money laundering, and why is it important? You know, I know about this, but for listeners that may not mm-hmm. understand, what's so important about anti money laundering? So effectively, um, you know, anti-money laundering is prevention of um, making money which is coming from illegal sources, um, criminal activities, to appear legal. This is the the basic definition of anti-money laundering. Um, So typically, I mean, if we have uh, international crime scene uh, and the funds are being exchanged between different parties around the world, uh, anti-money laundering is there to prevent or at least make it more difficult to basically execute around the around the world uh, in terms of uh, you know payments basically and transfer transfer of value. Obviously, uh, cryptocurrencies are are one of the you know potential usage uh, for money laundering. We currently see this a lot. Uh, I mean, the, the the financial sector is primarily. Uh, involved in, uh, I mean, involved or being being uh, used for money laundering uh, currently, and we see this we see this process uh, effectively. You know, you have to manage this process in cryptocurrencies as well. Where does the uh, legal requirement come in? Is this just for one country or every country? No, effectively, it's you know, if you see around the world, and you know, I've been a global head of AML for Royal Bank of Scotland, where I was responsible for you know, uh, quality assurance and processes around the world, and I saw the regulations in in a number of of countries around the world, and effectively, the underlying principles are very similar in every jurisdiction. 
so basically, uh, you need to understand who is, you know, who is the party of the transaction, and you need to understand the risk associated with the transaction. And we have these regulations in uh, U.S., U.K., Europe, uh, Japan, China, uh, Singapore, everywhere almost in the world. They are quite similar in terms of uh, the spirit of the regulations, uh, and they are slightly different in terms of, you know, particular execution of this or, you know, the information which we need to collect um, around the world. But in principles, in principle, they are they are quite similar. So, what's an example of an AML policy? What's required? What's involved? Okay, so. If you if you look um, in the key jurisdictions, so there's a few parts of uh, money laundering regulations applicable, and you know how you how you transpose this. This would be you need to have written policies and procedures. These procedures needs to reflect you know, be reflected in the processes, internal processes. If you break down the you know regulations into particular steps, first step when you are you know have client, you know, starting to use your services and starting to uh, basically uh, transfer funds, especially transfer funds, you need to identify this client. This is called know your client or KYC uh, process. So the KYC process, it's, you know, I, I like to call this a snapshot in the given time, basically. So the snapshot, the understanding of what is the name of the person, surname, uh, where this person is from, uh, country of origin, where this person is currently, you know, conducting business, uh, what is this business, uh, where this, you know, where this uh, source of funds is from, uh, source of wealth, so basically the, the total, uh, total, uh, you know, value of, of, of this person, where is it coming from. So this is the information which you Call, you know, collect in the identification process. Then you take external sources, uh, which you use to validate this data. This is called verif- verification of this information. So you need to verify. So, for example, you ask for proof of address. Uh, you ask for a second document in order to process with uh, with validation of of this data. So this is KYC process. Then you have ongoing monitoring. This is this is called uh, client, client due diligence when basically you you understand if the client you uh, opened relationship is not changing over time because you could have company which is uh, you know which was onboarded and it was fully legitimate company but the, the the management has changed the shareholders has changed and suddenly you have someone else you know being you know conducting uh, services with with you which you and if you don't understand what is happening what kind of change you know happen basically you also may have a potential risk then you need to monitor transactions uh, and the transactions is being monitored through a number of different lenses some of the lenses would be you know uh, whether this transaction is uh, in line with the client profile uh, in line with the peers uh, of the client, so basically this is this is where you compare whether this is actually not too big or not too frequent uh, transaction, and then whether this is this information is matching basically, uh, and what is the reason as well for this for this transaction? So you you understand this kind of information and you analyze this on the ongoing basis. Additional sources of I mean of information or what what's important in the AML process is understanding of whether the client is not politically politically exposed person or is not on the sanction list or is not conducting uh, businesses from the sanctioned countries. 
So these are the, the requirements. If you see around the world, they're pre, pretty much similar, and these are the basic requirements of the proper AML, um, AML you know, compliance. What is the, uh, the sanction list? Who puts it out? And, you know, how do people get on it, either mistakenly or properly? So you, yeah, so you have a number of different bodies uh, which are, you know, providing this kind of information. For example, you know, international sanction, which is UN uh, providing this, this international uh, United Nations providing this, uh, uh, this information on sanctions. You have uh, OFAC in US, uh, who is providing the list a list of sanctions. Uh, in EU, we have also EU at the EU level. Uh, you know, the, the the sanction list. This is this is updated, but also on the at the country level, you have in Russia, for example, you have so-called blacklist. Which is also indicating, you know, sanctioned uh, individuals, sanctioned uh, region, countries, or you know, uh, goods and uh, services. Was it just Russia that has a blacklist, or can people be blacklisted from the U.S. or, or other countries? Yeah, obviously, U.S. you know is producing the off, so-called OFAC list. Uh, so OFAC list uh, is is basically you know the the list of you know sanctioned countries, sanctioned individuals, uh, which you you know from the country perspective is something which is uh, you know limited in terms of uh, service services being provided. But almost every country has has their own list or they use internationally recognized uh, list. So it depends on the you know it depends on the country effectively. You know, but you know I give Russian example just as an example. Let's talk about uh, blockchain-based companies. What, mm-hmm. in what instances do they need to um, worry about KYC and AML procedures? Every single company, just certain ones. How does it apply? So blockchain is a you know really interesting, um, really interesting uh, you know area because effectively one of the benefits of blockchain is transferring value. Whenever you have trans- transfer value, you almost need to apply the AML rules, especially in the blockchain peer-to-peer transactions. When you have peer-to-peer transactions, you have peer-to-peer exposure, and you need to understand what kind of exposure uh, you have. Obviously, you know, there, there are you know, uh, models uh, in blockchain space which has not been so far explored in the traditional sectors, so it's a new area and also new business models. So sometimes this exposure is limited, but mostly when you have, you know, if you have, for example, exchange, if you're running exchange, or if you are running payment processor, you have you have rules which are very similar to um, very similar to the traditional sectors, and it's being recognized that, you know, in this situation you need to apply very similar rules and you have very similar obligations. So effectively, you know, our approach is that we are going into the area when uh, if you have exchange of cryptocurrencies uh, and fiat currencies, you certainly have these obligations that you need to understand the risk. Especially, as I said, you know, in, in blockchain, you have peer-to-peer exposure. So let's say, and this is, this is also, you know, um, legitimate approach in terms of understanding the risk uh, exposure when you have you know counterparty and you transact with the counterparty you want to you want to know what is the risk profile of this of this company so far it was handled by you know the middleman uh like payment processor basically who, who is exchanging uh who is exchanging value between the companies but because of the blockchain this this intermediation yeah, so there's no third party involved in this transaction 
you immediately have even if you're running e-commerce shop you you need to understand whether the, the the counterparty which is buying from you books or you know services is not suddenly paying you with with the money coming from ransomware uh, and this is the this is the what we see you know uh, a, a potential risk which has not been properly explored on the uh, cryptocurrency space well, that's interesting so even if you have a trustless peer-to-peer system uh, because of the laws, you're still responsible for doing AML and KYC, but now on an individual basis. It sounds a lot tougher than, you know, what uh, companies that deal with the traditional financial system have to deal with, or is it not just different? Yeah, I think I think you know that there will be challenge, uh, which is which is new uh, in terms of approach. But I think what's important is not to overdo this. But you know, not to overdo. You need to be. So effectively, uh, anti-money laundering is a lot connected with risk-based approach. So you have certain risk exposure and you need to manage, you need to be aware, you need to manage this risk. And, you know, we have, we are in the position of, I mean, we are of the position of uh, suggesting that if you have small transactions, you don't have to, you don't have to do full KYC. So you need to understand certain data points on this, on this particular transaction. If you have large transactions, you know, let's say the threshold would be, you know, 15,000, 15,000 euro or, you know, 15,000 US dollars. This is where potentially you need to explore or possible information which you can get on, on the counterparties. Unfortunately, this is this is the way uh, you know the benefits of of blockchain uh, brings you know that the risk as well, uh, and the, the risk needs to be explored. So, what are what are some of the ways in which uh, activity would be considered suspicious that companies have to block or monitor or ask for a higher level of uh, of KYC? Yeah, so I mean, there's a number of um, Transactions which are, uh, you know, from traditional traditional perspective would be suspicious. So, for example, if someone is using mixers, so you know, question is why someone is using mixers, anonymizers for the funds. I mean, obvious solution. I mean, there are potentially two solutions. Someone is knowingly doing this or not knowingly doing this. Yes. Um, if you are knowingly do, doing uh, anonymization of your funds, this is this means that you know you do this for some reason. And you know you want to um, anonymize your fund, and this is you know from 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 the AML perspective, it's something which is bringing a lot of risk to the transaction. Uh, of course, you know there is not something that uh, completely disqualifies uh, the transaction or the fund, but it's 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 certainly bringing bringing much more risk um, to the counterparty. So, for example, if you I mean you could argue that you know this you know your funds could be um, Anonymized or you know amalgamated into the the fund you know with the funds coming from ransomware or from hacks and in this situation no one can you know with with you know certainty uh, say that this is something which is you know fully legal or illegal. Well, how would a provider know that um, you know money coming in is uh, coming from a mixer or a tumbler, and do they have responsibility to to figure that out? Um, you know, we yes, I would say yes, um, and you know, this is this is uh, it, currently. If you don't know this, I mean, if you don't use your own tools, uh, your own analysis, you can come to us and we can provide you with this information, right? So this is uh, this is straightforward answer. But you know, effectively, if, if you don't have it, you how you can manage this risk? So let me 
let me turn this question around. You know, so how would you ensure that your business it's not? Um, so if you if you have reg if you have the regulator coming to you and asking you, or the the, the financial investigation unit is coming to you and asking you, okay, how you can prove that you are not aware that these funds were coming from ransomware? What kind of information you can provide? How did you how did you manage this risk? How did you avoid to 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 you know being party of this? And you know, currently, the, 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 I mean, most of the companies would say, "Well, I didn't know that you know I need to do this, or I didn't know that it's you know there, there are certain obligations on me, and this is not good enough." And we see increasing numbers of companies which are you know be- becoming aware that they need to you know manage the risk associated with the funds coming to them, because this is the only way they can protect their businesses. You know, and this is. We, there are tools, our tools, you know, there's, there's some other companies on the market which can also provide some, some tools uh, to manage this kind of risk. So effectively, uh, if there are tools, uh, you are obliged as, you know, running this business to apply these tools, apply the standards and, you know, manage this risk properly. Hmm. It seems kind of tricky. So what, are, what do blockchain companies do? How do they know that, again, money is coming from mixers? What are some other examples of... Uh, transactions that are suspicious that need to be figured out like what's the you know a size number of transactions you know what other behaviors do you see are important to watch yeah i think i mean some of the some of the i mean we have currently in in our platform we have uh, almost 200 different uh, red flags or scenarios what we call for transactions and you know this this would be like mixers, anonymizers, just you know transactions which are above certain you know, certain value or uh, transactions which are using a lot of uh, uh, newly created addresses, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, you know, so you know there's uh, really a lot of information which you can collect. Or someone, you know, this was you know the address when the funds are coming, you know, the funds are coming from have been used in the context of deep web, dark web, and for example with illegal illegal activities so we have this kind of information as well and immediately you, you i mean the question is why someone is using this 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 uh in what context was used the address uh, maybe it was you know address for transfer of funds for you know uh, drugs or weapon or you know human trafficking uh, and this is the information which we are providing which we are providing to the network and in, in the structured report very interesting okay um how difficult is it for companies to you know, have a good AML and KYC uh, compliance setup, is it really difficult, or is it really not hard if you just put in the basics? You know, what what kind of advising do you have to do for companies? Uh, so it depends. I mean, what we saw in the you know last year and a half, uh, the the awareness of the companies is is increasing dramatically, and you know, really companies are coming to us. Initial coin offerings are coming to us to analyze the risk, uh, you know, and it depends how you want to, how you want to structure this, how you want to build this. So you can have the, you know, more traditional approach that you build big teams and compliance team and you're trying to figure out, you know, what are the, the risks in the more, uh, let's say, traditional banking way. Or you can, you know, really apply technology in your uh, services, like our technology and some 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 other companies which are happy helping. For example, with KYC, when you can streamline this process, really make sure that your onboarding is pretty quick, that every transaction is monitored, that you have really good understanding and really good procedures uh, related to this. So how we, you know, when we work with the companies, typically we will be either helping them with implementation of the procedures 
following procedures and policies to um, integrate our what we call C-score, uh, which is indicating the risk associated with the with the address and the transaction. And every transaction outgoing and incoming would be reviewed through our system. Typically, we suggest that they should implement basic reports. So they just get simple number from 0 to 99 as a risk indicator. If they see that there's something which is really you know, risky or really tricky, uh, they can get some additional reports, standard or enterprise report to see why actually this risk has occurred and you know whether this is matching the profile and make informed decision uh, on the basis of this of this information so it's with with our tools so far this kind of war i mean without our tools so far this work would be done internally but by compliance officers and so we trans- transposed our knowledge our inf- what we what we've learned you know through through working with the financial sector um we, we transport this knowledge into the scenarios, into the tools. So it, it's pretty simple to uh, get the structured data and not necessarily do this internally, everything from scratch. So this is our target, to make life of compliance officers in these organizations really easy and you know allow business to focus on the business cases. That's great, because otherwise you need like a, sometimes multiple full-time people just to monitor everything, but you're doing it with your... Um your software exactly you know and this is you know so i think what what we like to say is uh, there's not not no fintech without rectech yes we are a rectech company we want to streamline um, management of compliance for our clients so this is our focus what we saw for example let's say you know paypal paypal was was a fintech uh, from start but currently it's a real bank with with the same problems as you know traditional banks so they lose the, the edge at the end. All right. Well, very good. So how can um, companies and people listening contact you to find out if they need to set up a policy, you know, AML, KYC, and what's involved in the cost and you know, how everything works? How do they reach out to you? So they can reach out through the website um, or contact at CoinFirma.io. So this is this is where we can uh, have an initial, initial call. You can also register on our platform and query our, our database uh, with, with you know, for information. It's a really, you know, we want to really streamline the process for onboarding and we want to streamline the process for uh, for our clients. And, you know, they can apply API, they can get reports online. We also, if we have large clients, we also work with banks and financial institutions to manage the risk associated with their clients, which are in cryptocurrency space. And this is where we are, you know, implementing designed for them tools. So it depends on the, you know, how the clients work, depends, you know, how, uh, what kind of um, services they need from us. We also help to build procedures and, KYC onboarding and etc. and etc. So you can have fully fledged um, services from us. Well, very good, well, Paolo. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. It's, uh, very interesting stuff. Thank you very much for inviting me. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field. To interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. 
Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.